we're reaching the business end of the season and the Lowland League have already secured cash for their clubs for next term. Rangers and Celtic have agreed to stump up to allow their coat teams to enter the setup. The Lowland League say it's just for one season, but it's a decision which has sparked plenty of debate. Darvel boss Mick Kennedy tells us why he thinks it's the wrong move for the good of the game. And after we've heard from the manager of Darvel, we'll hear from one of his new coaches. Kieran McInesby spoke to us before he joined up with Mick, and the second part of his interview is a really frank listen. Kieran tells us why he never fulfilled his potential after leaving St Johnston for Fulham, and why he's got a better attitude at 41 than he did at 21. We cover his spell when he fell out of love with the game and had a stint working at Babe Station. And at the end of a season to remember for St Johnston, we hear his memories of their current boss Callum Davidson nearly chucking football for university. It's all here as we go down the divisions. Good to have you along as we take a look at Scotland's lower leagues. Well, Paul, after re-signing 15 players from last season, I see you've added a new face to your new Mains United squad this week. Yeah, we added uh, Chris McIntyre from Wisher. Uh, Chris an experienced defender, been at Wisher for 13 years. I think he's maybe a couple of loan spells in that. But when he become available, you know, it's the type of player that has played at this level. You know, you know, he's going to be there every week and you know what you get with that type of player. Uh, really excited to, that he wanted to come. He come up and spoke to us and uh, you know laid out the plans of where we wanted to be and he, he signed there and then. So I, that's good. We've got a, hopefully another two signings this week and we're bringing in three trialists over over pre-season and we're good to go on Monday. Sounds good. Well, maybe we'll have a few more a few more new uh, new signings to talk about next week then. Um, a quick word for our sponsors, media agency 44 Creative. Not only do they have photographers, graphic designers, videographers and video editors to help promote your content, brand, organization or event, they now offer website services too. They make creation personal and they'd love to hear from you. Find out more at www.44creativehq.com and we'll include that link in the show's description on your podcast player too. Back to the show, and please do keep the comments and suggestions for guests coming. If you're a club in the lower leagues looking for more exposure, we'd also like to hear from you. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Hi, my name's Carlo Walker, and I'm the manager of Mabel. You're listening to Down the Divisions. To start with, we've got the Down the Divisions decider. We'll give you four clues for a particular club from League One down, then reveal the answer at the end of the show. Right, Paul, you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm good to go. This week, I'm looking for the club who had three players with the surnames Sage, Curry and Rice playing for them in the early 1970s. Jock Steen played 94 games for them. In the 1980s, they had a shirt that resembled a biscuit wrapper. And Marvel comic book writer Mark Miller is a fan. I think I know the answer. You do? I don't know. I think so. Just when 
The Marvel was the Marvel one because somebody was involved in films and bought them a camera this year, so I'm going to have a guess with that. We'll find out the answer at the end of the show. Hi, I'm Ross Wilson, manager of Mary Hill, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Lowland League clubs this week voted in favour of admitting Old Firm Colt teams next season. 11 of the 17 chairmen supported the proposal, a decision which has seen Civil Service Strollers President Russell Pride quit in protest. Rangers and Celtic will stump up £25,000 for the one-off season in a plan which will be ratified by an AGM later this month. The decision was also slammed by the West of Scotland, East of Scotland and South of Scotland leagues. Someone else not happy at the plans is Darvel boss Mick Kennedy, who joins us now. Thanks for being with us, Mick. Uh, the Lonan League say their members have voted and the Colts teams could help attract sponsors. Tell us why you don't agree with it. I, I, I think, Gareth, you need to break it down and look at it from different avenues. I think there's obviously there's the, the, the integrity of the pyramid, which has been discussed at length. And I think there's also a degree of sporting integrity when you look at the Lone League in terms of isolation. Then obviously there's this argument the importance of coach teams for player development for uh, future national players. I think, unfortunately, if, it, if it's only one year, then most of it doesn't stack up, unfortunately. I think if you just look at it from the basic principle of sporting integrity and the pyramid integrity, where I have an issue with it is for the life of me, I can't understand how anyone can argue from a positive club should be able to pay to access a functioning competitive pyramid and then be placed in basically, which is r- roughly around about the middle of that, because they're able to pay a significant sum of money. And a significant sum of money in the, in the broadest term, you actually break it down per club, it's what, about £3,000 per club. So it's really not a lot. And I think that, I, I, I just don't think that sits well with, with me. The Lone League has been one of the biggest custodians of the pyramid system. They've argued for its integrity to be met over the last few months simply because of the debate the, the around about League Two, or, uh, given the, the Lone League winners and the, the High League winners' access to the pyramid system. And then fundamentally, they've now, in my opinion, questioned their own moral stance in allowing this to happen. How does it affect Darvo, Mick, in terms of, obviously, you're a super ambitious club. Uh, everybody knows, everybody knows about Darvo, where you want to go, what you want to do. We've had yourself on, John's been on the show, you know, laying out the plans. Will it affect, will it affect your club in terms of if you get promoted this year? See, 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 see it's basically what's been proposed. That the reality is it was on paper as year one and, and they, they then vacate in year one. The reality is they'll only vacate in year one if... The pyramid, if the pyramid restructure happens at a senior level and they get access to League 2, that is why the agreements in the broad sense of the agreements only for Year 1, because fundamentally their hope that the league reconstruction allows them to then get into League 2. And I think that's one of the biggest issues I have with it, because listen, I think the reconstruction needs to happen. Uh, I think that there needs to be an increase in numbers in each of the leagues at a lower level. But that's one of the biggest issues. So let's say, for instance, that's passed and then Celtic Rangers are granted access to League Two and probably it'll end up the league winners of the Lone League and the league winners of the Highland League will automatically get promoted to give them four extra clubs, for instance. 
that's my issue because fundamentally the, the Colts place for Celtic Rangers should then go to second best place in the Lone League and second best place in the Highland League. Now, you can't morally argue for that if you've then allowed them access to the Lone League under the same principles. And I think that's where it's a bit short-sighted because this isn't about, for me, Colt teams accessing the Lone League. This is about Colt teams accessing any league in the country by starting at the bottom because you can't argue that you have a competitive function fair balanced pyramid system then clubs can then dip in at whatever level they choose based on finance that's just wholly unfair and I think that's where the lonely have been slightly short sighted because when league, league reconstruction comes and it will come at some point I would imagine and I think there's enough uh, support behind the scenes for it I think it's recognised it's required that Celtic B team and B team or Colt team whatever you want to define them with will end up in League 2 and those two places should go to a low league club and a Highland League club who have invested significant sums to get themselves into that position but unfortunately that argument will no longer stack up because the Lone League have then given them access to their league even if it's only for a year but in the broadest sense Paul it doesn't impact us at all and, and, and some people have said to me, I don't know why you're so bothered then, it doesn't bother you, but it, it, it's it's not about affecting Davo, it's not really about affecting any, any West club. The reality is, from an integrity point of view, clubs shouldn't be allowed to access, in my opinion, a pyramid system that is competitive, functioning, and meant to be fair and balanced, apart from starting at the bottom, irrespective of who they are, irrespective of the arguments behind the principles of them joining the league. If there's four teams to be promoted, oh sorry, four places in SPL2, give two to the Highland League and give two to the Lone League. And if Rangers and Celtic want to put a, a B team in, then the reality is they should stop at the bottom. But then I think even, that, the other thing is, if you start to then look at the sponsorship basis of it, so a potential league sponsorship, if it's only for one year, which, why would you really negatively affect the brand which I think is a good brand and I think the only have done fantastic things and I think it's a really good league and I think generally if you've been honest with you I think it's going to be really good people but I don't understand why you would so negatively affect the brand for one year because the sponsorship deal isn't going to last when Celtic Rangers move out if, if that's why it's been put in in the first place how much money is that sponsorship deal going to be worth at that level of football it's not going to be life changing sums of money it shouldn't have ever been allowed to happen in my honest and why from a league perspective, and the reality is I'm not part of the league, so maybe my viewpoint on this is irrelevant, but why would the league want to allow two teams to enter it who can't get promoted, can't get relegated, but can impact on others being promoted and relegated? How? I, I just I just, I just, just don't get, if you're, if you're meant to be a serious league in the pyramid system, a professional league in the pyramid system, you would allow two teams to get committed to the league who could potentially win it, by the way. They could win the league. In second place, then have to get promoted, fight for promotion. I just the, the whole integrity for me, from a sporting perspective, and I mean a pyramid perspective, actually doesn't make any sense. So what would happen in the case of if Motherwell, Saint Martin, and any other club decide well, we want to put our, our coke team in now, we want to enter it? How, how would that then? How would that then work? Do they say, well, no, this is only for Rangers and Celtic, or is this? For everybody, or because then that's, well, that's club, that, that, you're closer, you're way closer to it than my club. But then it then starts putting us further down the down the pecking order and, and further away from any goals that we've we've got. Of course, listen. If the fees only twenty five grand, because the original money putting them is about half a million pounds over five years. That was the original sum of money, which is probably out the reach of Motherwell, Aberdeen, as well as the reaches of those clubs. I would imagine, certainly in this climate. So 
that, 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 that was the sum of money the old firm won't invest in, that they can give to League 2 clubs to allow them to get access to League 2. But if the sum of money's dropped from half a million pounds to £25,000, then I'm sure Motherwell, Hibs, Aberdeen, clubs like that could quite easily find £25,000. And listen, I agree with the principle that there's an issue here in terms of, there's, a, there's an issue with the pipeline in terms of development of that age group because there's, a, there's an uncompetitive element because they've done away with the Reserve League. But that's something that something needs to be sorted at a national level. Well, I was going to ask you about that because I was going to say, what do you say to the people who say, well, there's a lot of quality players, quality young players that both clubs looking for an opportunity. Others would say, if it's for the future of the Scottish game, there's a lot of guys who aren't Scottish in these teams as well. You know, so there's there's, there's the kind of sort of counterbalance there. You know, in terms of if it's if it's for the good of the Scottish, if it's good for the it's for the good of the Scottish national team and the development of Scottish players if you know what I mean so what would you say from a from a footballing perspective forgetting the integrity for, do, do, do you agree that there should be I mean you look at Spain you look at Portugal you look at Germany these, these, these countries have got cold teams haven't they playing playing down the divisions and, and you see how they do on, the, on a national stage from a football point of view do you think it would work yeah, but, but, so, but the issue, so, so the issue with that is, if, so people put that argument up, but the issue is you need to actually look at the investment and the money in these leagues. So if you look at the, the infrastructure and, and, and money within the top clubs in Spain and the top clubs in Portugal and the top clubs in, in Scotland, eh, sorry, in England, eh, sorry, in Germany, the investment in those clubs and in, in those leagues is far superior. Colt teams isn't, isn't going to be the solution here. It's a bigger issue. The problem is our country, unfortunately, at the national level, doesn't have enough income within it to, to really, really develop proper talent at that level. So it's, it's a broader argument. People who argue that point, and this is, I said this to somebody today, if MD honestly thinks that putting Rangers and Celtic team in the loan league for a year is going to develop stars of the future in five years, then I will be absolutely amazed. If I see <laughs> if that's the case, then I take my hat off to the loan league for being really forward thinking here and been really creative and that model would surely need to be replicated and developed. I'll be staggered, absolutely staggered if this is successful developing stars of the future. Also coming out on the point, obviously Darvel's more money than Rangers and Celtic put together. <laughs> no, joking aside, but like what's to stop a Darvel putting a coach team in? You know. See, the thing is, but what's to stop any team putting a team in? It's early that they're coaching or not. What, 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 what was to stop us to, 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 to go to the Lone League and say, see, this year, we'll give you 50 grand and let us come in for a year. What's to stop MD doing it? The reality is there's nothing to stop MD. But where the argument stacks up is, well, the argument will be, oh, it's about, this is why the argument's coming in, it's about development. And, and listen, I do get there's a non-competitive element at that level, and I do, I do understand it creates problems. I also understand there's been an argument that people want to catch a good loan to League One and League Two clubs and stuff like that. I get that. The reality is when you see boys at that age from senior clubs go to League League One and League Two clubs, do they actually play? They don't maybe they don't contribute enough, they don't play enough week in, week out. So I get I I, I don't really think that is the best solution either. But I think to fix it it should be done at a national level. And I think I think if we really want to develop future stars on a broader sense in large numbers then the reality is we need to find a solution for all the clubs to do that not just Celtic Rangers it's no responsibility to develop Celtic Rangers youth players they're the two biggest strongest most supported clubs in Scotland 
more wealth than the rest that every other team in the country put together. Every other, including the West teams, South of Scotland, League One, League Two clubs, more wealth than all. Why, why should the solution fall on our shoulders? Why should we then be negatively affected to find that solution? That's something that should happen at a national level. And if they're really serious about it, then invest serious money to address it. Invest money from your budget to address it. Fundamentally, that's what it is. If if MD can convince me that if Celtic Rangers rocked up to the Lone League and says, just going to let us in for it and we'll go away in a year's time and there was no money involved, not a penny, there's absolutely no way this would happen. Never in a million years. It's money driven, in my opinion. Now, I do get, listen, people want to bring in sponsorship and you need to be creative and I get all that, but I just think when you break it down the certain elements, the argument, unfortunately, just doesn't stack up, unfortunately. And if the Lone League really feel that Celtic and Rangers players need a platform to play. They're saying it's a moral issue. They're saying that, 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 that it's important about player development. We'll see the 50 grand Rangers Celtic and giving you. Develop, put it back into grassroots football then. See, you're really committed to it, and that is really the basis of your decision. See the money you're getting? Three grand, three and a half grand per. Put it into grassroots football then, and just give them the platform to play for you. But I'll guarantee you, if you revote that, that won't happen. I think I'm right in saying you're. You're good friends with the Lowland League chairman, George Fraser. Have you uh, have you expressed your opinion to him? I spoke to George. Listen, MD knows me, knows my thoughts on George Fraser. He's a really good guy. I've got a good, very good relationship with friends. Speak a lot about football in general across this country. He is actually a very forward-thinking creative. And I think George himself has is, 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 is got high morals and high principles. Uh, and I think he's got a lot to offer football in this country. But fundamentally, we Totally, I disagree on this. I think George knows that as well. And listen, there may be, George has not expressed this to me about balance, but George slightly disagrees with it. I don't know as well. He's looking at it from a different perspective. He's looking at it from the president or the chairman of the league, commercial perspective. It's his role to try and do his best for the Lone League on its own. I get that. But I, it's, it's, it's fundamentally disappointing. And as I say, see if they've got Rangers to go away in a year. It doesn't affect Western West Scotland clubs, but it's not about this. It's about us having the ability to argue future developments further up the pipeline when these things happen that neg- negatively affect us all. And the reality is, I think this decision doesn't give us much strength to argue against now because the reality is that the Lone League is a gateway into SPL2. And if that's the gateway and, and, and they're meant to be the custodians for us to pass through, then... I don't understand. I generally can't understand when league reconstruction comes if we're detrimentally affected by it. How alone we can take a, a strong view to argue against this. Interesting. No good views. Uh, just just before we let you go, uh, how how's uh, how are plans going for for the new season? Are you back pre-season training? Yeah, yeah, back in yesterday. Just light session, usual stuff. Body fat, weight. Uh, just some basic stuff to see where the guys' fitness is at. No, if, if things are going well, we've kept room today over the next probably five to seven days. We'll get three or four in. Looking forward to league issues. I think the West of Scotland is a fantastic brand. I think it's really exciting. Uh, I think the new, fresh committee in place, uh, really good ideas, very forward. And I think uh, it'll be an exciting league. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to, as people say, the big guy, guns coming back, Talbot and Pollock and stuff like that. Uh, no, so I'm looking forward to it. And the ground, uh, the pitch coming on as well. It's getting there, mate. It's get, to, to be fair, it was a bit better after taking fifty grand off the budget and just putting it lonely. That saved us a bit of heartache and pain. But uh, <laughs> I, we're getting there. Uh, it's, it's it's looking good. It's looking really good. 
Brilliant. Mick, thanks for joining us tonight. Really appreciate you coming on and uh, expressing your views and uh, we'll, we'll hopefully get you back on during the season and uh, hear how things are going then. I hope I didn't sit in the fence too much. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm David Gormley, manager of Rossville Football Club and you're listening to Down the Divisions. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke to Kieran McInespy about his time as a boss at Cumbernauld United and Clyde Bank. This week, we hear the second part of his interview, where he lifts the lid on just why he didn't make the most of the ability he had. And in case you're wondering, the other voice asking the questions is former Airdrie director of football, Stuart Miller. Well, Kieran, I think we need a whole podcast to talk about your playing days. Um, how do you look back on, on your playing career now? Um, Where to start? <laughs> I was I was actually talking this today. Somebody it wasn't until I was about twenty five, twenty six. I actually realised that was actually all right football. Yeah. When I worked with Owen Coyle at St Johnston, um, I, just, I don't know. I wasn't. I don't know. It was bizarre. Like when you sit, I look back and when I'm particularly when I was younger at St Johnston, a good bit of success and you know. Winning promotion and you know playing for the national team throughout like sixteens to twenty ones and um, doing all that kind of stuff and it was again I just I just did it I just did football um, I don't know I just a frustrated frustrated footballer that just didn't fulfil I suppose his his um, his potential but again I know I put the potential on me just sit back and go right well you. You've done this, and when I went to Fulham, they were they were in the championship, so they weren't in the Premier at the time, you know. Um, but this way it worked out. I went there. I could have had other options to go other way, other places. Um, but at that time, my agent was scouting me as a left back. Now I was a, I was a striker slash attacking midfielder, but because I was left footed, but you know, I turned down an opportunity to go on trial and just you know playing. Did that? Got the opportunity to sign. Um, but because my mindset was like, well, I, I can see that pass and I can do that and I'm trying to do it from left back, that's not 20, sometimes 20, 25 yards. You're trying to make that diagonal pass and it's not going to come off and fall out myself. And I just, just didn't have the right mindset. I didn't have it. I didn't have a strong, I had a very strong mentality. I was quite mature to a certain extent when it came to life. I wasn't mature as a boy. Still a boy. Um... I didn't, I didn't, I said I didn't have the right mindset to, particularly at that level, but you know, for that level you have to be, it's, I didn't create, we talk about investment of time into your game, that is, when you're at elite level, working at elite level, you have to be on it, I didn't buy into the, the sports science, they were miles ahead of anybody in Britain, because it was the French Revolution, and they were, you know, we're getting blood tests every three months, and your little goodie bag for your vitamins and and all that and I didn't buy into it, you know, and I, I, and I just I, I do I regret it? No, I don't regret anything because I wouldn't be where I am now. What I've got, um, I just made some decisions that were wrong. <laughs> um, so I'm just kind of like, well, do you know what? And I learned from it though. I mean, what I've learned, I'm been able to work at that level with the coaches I did and the players I did. Um, has you know created a, an unbelievable kind of 
um, change of, of perception and, and how to look after myself. Uh, I've probably got a better attitude now at 40, 41 than I did at, at 21. Um, but it's just, uh, you know, you don't, hindsight is a wonderful thing, they say, but, you know, it's, uh, I look back and think, I've, had, I've done okay, but I think I just, I, did, I didn't have the, the right mindset to work at elite level. And I think as I came down, come down that slippery slope, I just, again, I didn't have the right mindset, fell out myself too often and got frustrated and, um, it was never my fault and it was always somebody else's fault and, you know, I ended up, you know, where I am for the reason because I wasn't strong enough mentally to to improve or or to, you know, see what, where I was going wrong. You burst onto the scene in the 96-97 season. I think you scored in each of your first two games for St Johnston. You won promotion, you scored against Celtic, you scored against Rangers in the 98-99 season, you got capped by Scotland's under-21s. I mean, you touched on it dead. You look back now and did it come almost too easily to the point that you didn't, you felt you didn't have to work at it because <coughs> you had back then, you were just you were just naturally gifted and that was enough? No, no I think, I think, I don't know what the, what, the issue was even I went to Fulham and then you'd, the two squads were split it was like the first team were over there and we were here and I, I was kind of thinking I should be over there because I'm just came down for the first team I've played 50 games you know for St Johnson I should be over there and it wasn't about I'm going to show him it wasn't that I'm going to, I'm going to show him it was like well that's shite toys at pram that's that you know stomping about but again I I can always think back to, and I can use the reference to the two Jameses that left Hamilton. And a lot of boys who go down south don't succeed because they've not got the the clout behind them. And James McCarthy and James McCarthy went down and been extremely successful because they went down with 150 games, over 100 games between each at Hamilton Ackies. They were prepared because they were prepared mentally, prepared physically prepared technically because they've, they've and they experienced the game, the 150 odd games for Hamilton Ackies in the SPFL or SPL, allow them then a, a much better platform to go and develop um, than, than, than I did you know, with 50 or 50 games or whatever um, and not experience and um, you know a high level of, of uh, experience that I needed technically I, I, I improved um, physically, I, I improved my, my condition. Um, mentally, psychologically, I, I, I didn't improve. I didn't. I didn't improve. Which, again, another option at that point was a, was, was a sports uh, psychologist, boy, what nickel, massive, massive in, in sport, and he was an option to use. And he he, he was friendly with. Um, he was. He they used him. Some of the senior boys used him. Um, I, I didn't, didn't see it. I didn't think that was right. But um, you've got. I think for me, again, I, I, I don't know. I don't. I wasn't. I wasn't intellectual enough as a footballer to really appreciate what I had. If that makes sense. Yeah. Again, you'll sit back and you know against you. Oh, probably tell you blue in the face about number of boys are well like that. I wish I, you know, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd done that and took it for granted. You know, we do as as footballers, you you take it for granted. Um, 
and I, and I had, a, I had a really, really, really good education, a really good upbringing in, in football um, at St Johnston, where um, like a man who should be getting a lot of plaudits in, in current times, Alistair Stevenson, um, was mm-hmm. exceptional of, of oh, Alistair, well, uh, yes. bringing, bringing players on and mm-hmm. his patience was, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, Paul Sturrock and John Blackley were, again, so... Sandy Clark, not there. Sandy was after after um, Paul left, but mm. uh, Sandy's and I's relationship wasn't as great as it was with uh, Sloop and, and, mm-hmm. and Paul Sturrock. Yeah. Um, and again, it was kind of at the tail end of my contract um, at that one. But the club, the club are exceptional. And, you know, and when you move away, you think you're ready but I just, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe again, maybe I went too early. Alex Smith always said that to me. I wish he never went, maybe a bit too early. Um, when I used to go back for 21s. But I think you know everything. You know, I think you know everything at 21. And, you know, you're, you're playing football, you're down south, you're living a dream, you think you're, you think you're the boy. And then you're 20 years past, and the next thing you're going for a job. You're going for job interviews. Well, what was that? Was it your choice to move to Fulham, Kieran, or were you basically told uh, the clubs had agreed a fee, you're moving to Fulham? Did you so, have a, a say in it at all? Yes and no, Stuart. So I was coming to the end of my contract and there was a long, ongoing negotiations with my agent and, and the club. And I, I look back now, I think it was just pathetic from, from both parties, but I think more so from my agent. Um, but then we sat down to go through... I made a decision at that point because they, they spoke to me about numbers at the time and I went, look, deal me agent, we talk about figures, that's, that's not for me. And uh, as I said to you at the start, I'm not good at maths. And uh, <laughs> then we sat down, we eventually got a, a meeting. The numbers were a lot less and it was more incentivised, but they'd done me before, not done me, but I'd, I'd lost out on money from an incentivised contract when I first signed one. Mm-hmm. So I was like that myself. No, I'm not saying that. I now know that the numbers have dropped. You've changed it, kind of the contract. So obviously, you sign, an, you sign an agent and you put trust in them. You know what they're doing. And my agent was, was a big player at the time, and uh, so the options were move abroad. I went to Lillestrøm in Norway um, on trial, and, and they offered me a deal. So I could have went there for nothing. Um, I was trained in Norwich. Um, they wanted me to go down for a week. And then um, I got the opportunity to go to Fulham. And it was the same week as the Norwich one. So we went to trial. We pushed the Norwich one back a week. But then Fulham asked me to stay an extra week. And then offered me the deal. But because I was, out, I was under 24. Mm-hmm. Compensation. It, it, it went to a... a, a Tribunal. Control. But what they had to do, my agent had to then... Prior to me leaving anywhere, particularly if I was going to move in, in Britain... He had to get a number out of St Johnston to say, look, what is your valuation? Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the time they were saying, look, it was like it was two hundred fifty grand. They were they were wanting it was like I don't know what X amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and we the season before we we done really well, so they earned a good bit of money. So they kind of based it on what I earned that year and says, well, mm-hmm. the so I think it worked out that they wanted about two hundred fifty grand because and then eventually got I think it went for eighty. That window down to eighty, so which I got nothing of because I was out of contract. Right. Been, which I was devastated that I was out. I missed about like three weeks. Um, 
get him because I had a, a percentage of my transfer fee, like I say, uh, right, and your contract. So I got a, a couple of quid in my pocket, but not a penny. Um, but then again, you, you get a, 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 a nice wage rise, um, and you're, then you move in a, a good environment down south, you know. Uh, so there's one name you mentioned, obviously, and you spoke highly, Alistair there. Alistair Stevenson was the manager he got Kosh United. Right. Yeah, I, I was at Celtic Boys Club for four, three, four years. Uh, and <laughs> I believed I'd signed schoolboy forums for Celtic, which I did. Uh-huh. Uh, and that enabled you to go and train at Celtic Park on a Monday night. So the likes of Nevin, McStay and Miller are all training at Celtic Park. John Sluggan there at the time as well. People like that, Peter Grant, who, who obviously lived next to me in Chapel Hall as such. So, uh, But as it turned out, uh, I was in a drawer somewhere, maybe at Barrafield, you know? Because yeah. uh, you were only allowed 20 uh, signed schoolboy forums at the time. Uh, and because there was interest in me uh, from, <laughs> bear with me, there'll be an answer to this, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, Aberdeen were interested, so anyway, ended up signing for Celtic. But when I wasn't registered, uh, Kieran, uh, I, I decided to leave Celtic and I went to get cosh for a year before I signed for Airdrie. And... The, the manager he got cost at the time was Alistair Stevenson. So I, I played for Alistair for a year at Gert Kosh. Uh, he was involved with Rangers, I think, at the time. Uh, and he ended up going to St Johnston, obviously, Hibs, back at St Johnston. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, his young boy, who's only nine or ten, has just signed for him at St Johnston. So uh, we were actually talking about him only a day or two. A lovely man, yep. uh, widely regarded as an excellent coach. Uh, talk about people skills, talk about man management. He's got absolutely everything. Yeah, and very humble, very humble as well. Yes. Of course, before you went to Fulham, you had that great experience at France '98 when Craig Brown took yourself, Greg, Paul Hartley, and Grant Brebner like as part of the squad. What, what, what was that like? Uh, no, it was it was Darren Young. Um, oh, Steve told me the wrong names in. So, sorry. Well, let, let, let me do a disclaimer in this. Uh, could you repeat the names again, then, Darren Young? Darren Young, uh, Paul Gallagher, Mark Butchell and myself. Right, OK. Uh, I'll be phoning Tosh McKinley very, very soon because Tosh McKinley gave me the four names this afternoon. Uh, he also complained that his boots were never cleaned because you were in the games room playing your PlayStation and, and playing pool. Is that correct, Kian? Absolute fibs. Right, OK. Tosh has never been known to tell lies in his life. Tosnica lives in a crackpot. You were the case. It was um, honestly that that experience was was incredible. Like, I, I went there. It was myself and Paul Gallagher that trained. We went away to America with them. Uh, so I was with the guys for five weeks, and we went two weeks in America and then in three weeks in France. Um, and the the, the 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 boys that were there were unbelievable. I mean, the, the caliber of player that was in that squad was ridiculous. Um, and get to mingle with them and, and train with them every day. The only thing we didn't do was play the games. 
but Tosh McKinley was was a different level. Him, Billy McKinley, Gary Mc, in fact, Gary McCarthy, he was there, but he wasn't in the squad. Gordon Jury, uh, Darren Jackson, and they were all the ones that kind of hung Craig about. Burley, Craig Burley, Craig John Collins. Uh, aye, but they were the ones that always hung about the pool and were always in the wind up and always mucking about. Right. Um, Johnny was just too serious for that. What Tosh said, Kieran, was that uh, he thought Paul Hartley was there. No, it was, it was uh, Paul Hartley's a couple of younger, older than us. Aye, maybe where he's maybe getting a wee bit mixed up uh, is that uh, Craig Brown also took players to Euro 96 as well. I'm sure. I'm uh, sure I think Colin Meldrum was one of them, he said. I think Zico went to the, that one. I think he was part of that. But no, it was uh, an, an incredible. But again, when you think back, at the time, I just didn't know what was going on. Like, even the whole prospect actually going. Um, I'd booked a holiday to Magaluf. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I heard this story. No, but I've done a research, Cara. So, um, I got a phone call for the managing director, Stuart Duff, the finance director, and he's like, listen, um, I've had Richard Simpson on the phone wanting to go to France, 98, with the Scotland team. as young boy, hamper boy. I was like, all right, okay. Um, and I went to America first. And what you go? I was like, right, um, well, I've booked my holiday to Magaluf with the boys. I'll need, to, um, I'll need to speak to Marco, Mark Cullen, my best mate. And he's like, right, okay. So I'll phone you back. So I phone's Marco and I says, mate, um, listen, I've had Stuart Duff on the phone. Um, I've been asked to go to uh, America and, and the World Cup uh, with, with Scotland. I mean, but I went, I, said, I, I was like, but what, my holiday? <laughs> and he's like, what, what, what? You can't, what? He obviously used a few expletives. <laughs> and, uh, I says, I, but I booked the holiday to Magaluf. You guys, I mean, get off the effing phone. <laughs> Don't be so effing stupid and go and tell Stuart that are you happy you're going don't be so and he was he was, he was disgusted mm-hmm. so obviously I'd, I'd been back on the phone and phoned Stuart and says I'm delighted to go <laughs> so uh, did, but, Marco, did Marco give you a deposit back though for the trip oh, no because we're all talking about getting the kills for the for watching the Scotland game Scotland was our game so uh, but listen I, I was I obviously got to experience it at a different level than, than everybody else and Again, you don't realise until you just sit now these days and people ask you and talk about it. And again, even the fact that they've never been. That was the last time they've been to a, a major competition. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad now that... that uh, well, I'm glad or, or gutted now that somebody else will talk about it after, <laughs> after next year. Well, I mean, you mentioned earlier on when you were talking about management and how senior players used to help you. Do you look back on that trip... You know, would, would, the, would the senior players in that squad, you know, speak to you and you learn a learn a lot from just watching watching the way they conducted themselves and things again, like that. I totally again, um, you know, they're all again, and that was the, the pinnacle. That's like the optimum level of, of your, your your country, and you're getting to, to operate these guys. And you know, I mean, look, you'd Simon Donnelly and Jackie McNamara there who were young, again, exceptional professionals. Scott Gemmel, Christian Daly. Christian Daly, people don't know, he was, his body condition was ridiculous. 
You know, he was a constant professional. Though we are Craig Burley, but the thing is that these guys, Craig Burley and Kevin Gallagher and Gordon Jury, they were they were still relatively old school. They, they, they loved the banter. They loved, um, you know, the training. But they, they, they had a good a good blend with it. Then, but the, the benchmark obviously was, was John Collins. They would continue to talk about him, but he had that experience. He was like that from a young age. I mean, him and Gareth Evans used to do press ups at Arbert breaks and that when they, they were at Hibs. Um, you know, Yogi used to tell us that, that you know, between breaks and watching Corey, they would do like rattle press ups and sit ups. Um, but again, it's it's working with these guys and spending time with these guys. You think, you know, at that age, you're like. What do you do? What do you, I get? It didn't click to me. Says if I want to be at that level, I need to do this. I need to do that. And by that time, eighteen, nineteen, it's too late. Mm. It's too late. You know, you're, you're already ingrained in a, a, you know a negative mindset of. I always, I always say I, I, I did enough. I did enough. Whereas I tell young players now, don't do more. You have to be better than the man next to you. You have to think that. You have to do more than anybody else to try and succeed. You need to be lucky. You know, I think um, John Cahoon told us, as in Johnson, you're better lucky player than a good player. Mm. And it's true. You see it everywhere. But I just, I didn't have, um, uh, you know, again, hindsight is one of those things. It takes so much time. But the, the experience with them, think back now, was just mm. unbelievable. Unbelievable. And even... You're obviously using Kieran what you probably should have done a number of years ago uh, in your managerial coaching career to try and obviously better players who, quite frankly, hadn't as much ability as yourself, but you want to improve them naturally. Uh, so the mistakes, uh, I'm saying mistakes, I wouldn't necessarily call them mistakes, it's just you've said yourself, you just did enough, you just did enough yeah. to get by, you know, so it's no mistakes, because it's mistakes make the, the wrong decisions in life, you know what I mean, yeah. uh, but not pushing yourself enough, uh, not getting as much out of uh, your body, your mind as, as you can, uh, you're certainly, the good thing is you recognise that, and you are trying to, through your coaching career, uh you know, emphasise it to players that are, had less ability than yourself, you know, so uh, that, at least that's good that you've recognised it. Yeah, but listen, recognised it, it was too late at that point, you know, but if I can, you know, it, there's not what there's not one emotion a player has been to go through that I haven't been through, so in a, in a position I can say, look, I've done that. I've done this. I've done that. I've worked. At, I've never ever said I've played at the highest level. I didn't. I didn't play. I, I worked at that level, uh, and I was able to 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 take a lot out of that. But you know, I've worked with you know Paul Sturrock was highly regarded as a, you know, a top top manager. John Blackley, exceptional coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what were these guys? Owen Coyle again. I, and one of my, one of my best managers was Alan Maitland. Right. Right. Um, was for a good, me a good guy, a good guy, an excellent guy. And he, he, but what he did for me was he took away the frustration. And I had had Alan Maitland when I was younger, or at the time when I needed it, mm. my career could have went, you know, back up again. But Where did you have him at Alawa? Alawa, Alawa, um, yeah. And he, again, I had an exceptional season, Alawa, and I got a move to Morton, and then just. 
aye, just things just didn't. Orton paid money for you, Kieran. Yeah, aye, paid money. How stupid were they, mate? Were they, eh? And you ended up... <laughs> you fell out with Davy Irons there. Yes, uh, uh, yeah. Davy's the nicest guy in the world. How on earth did you manage to fall out with him? I, I don't know. I don't know because he, 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 I, he I was he was at St John's when I, I used to work as a whitey as a as a schoolboy. Mm-hmm. Um, he then went to he was at Great and then he came back up to watch a game, and I, I was injured and he's like, "What are you doing?" This is I don't know. I won't be, I'll be getting released probably. Um, I said, look, come down to Gretna, give us a show, give us a shout. We had done David Nichol down there, he got mm-hmm. us down. Again, a lovely guy. Got to Morton, he came in Morton after Jim McAnally left. He said, just didn't fancy me, but, you know, I understand the dynamics of football, but in the day, people's skills go further than, than decisions, and he just didn't show me. It didn't, it didn't have, I don't know, it's difficult to say because I know he's a nice guy, I know, you know, a lot of people speak of him, but, you know, I, I want to go on what, how people treat me and he didn't treat me yeah. uh, that fairly and, um, you know, that's the way football works out, you know. Yep, yep, no, no, totally understand, uh, totally understand. With, um, with, with, with the Fulham move, just to kind of finish that, you, I think you made two League Cup appearances over, over three years. You had loans at Bournemouth and Hearts, and then you joined Plymouth, and then there was the Falkirk spell as well. I mean, and you mentioned attitude earlier on, but it was just my mindset. I just, I just, mm-hmm. I, I, I only had a couple of big injuries. Nothing that, that would have a major impact on my, my playing career. It was all, it was, it was all about my mentality, my attitude. That was it. You know, right through. I just didn't have the right. I didn't have the right mindset, and and knowing that see, you've got to be at it all the time, and I wasn't. You know, you've got to. Didn't matter where you went. I was at it a lot at Alloa because I had the support from Alan Maitland to take that frustration. As I was talking about, I was a frustrated player. I didn't like lazy players. So if it didn't work as hard as I thought it should be working, as hard as I work, I got frustrated with that, and then I'd lose sight of what I was trying to do. But he was the first one that actually recognised that. He would tell me take off the side of the pitch when there's a free kick and just say like you deal with you you don't play your football and and I'll deal with that never had that never had that before and, and that's what that's what he brought to me and, and I know I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that because I had a really good really good time at Allo and um, but it, it, whatever club I was at playing just frustrated just frustrated and was that why you you kind of had that spell where you fell out of love with the game and, and you yeah. went to after Morton was just was just appalling, absolute appalling. And my final year there, and um, listen, I understand again the dynamics of football. You don't see unless you're actually in it. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm not I'm not saying that, that Davy Irons did what he or, or or acted just naturally. There's pressures, you know, and I get that, I understand that. Um, but I just, I was just sick of football, and I was just like, nah, a waste of time. Really. I just, I had that was the only time really I had injury, but I didn't get looked at properly. And again, that's why my disgust with the club, because they wouldn't let me go and get a scan. You know, I had an impingement in my hip joint. I went and seek to uh, a private um, opinion, you know, and came back from a highly regarded physio in, in the game, and 
told the physio that this is what I did and what what happened. And he said, I need to go and get an X-ray, and, and they didn't do it. Waited five five months, and by that point, the inflammation had settled. Went and got a scan, got an scan on it, came back inconclusive. So it was just there was little just little things, little things that mean that make a massive difference to an individual. Um, and it was just too many individual, too little, too many little things that, that created a massive impact um, on my mindset again. But again, if you're if you're not, if you're stronger mentally, you deal with it differently, you know. And my my mindset at that point was, you know, I'm done with this. I can't be bothered with this, you know. Um, and that's but, when you uh, that's when you packed your bags and went to London. And yeah, it was I, a boy I knew when I was when I was down there the first time. It worked for a TV company and. It, it was. It wasn't all all that, but I, I did some uh, production work. Um, but he wanted me to go move into an a, 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 an agency, like a, a management company, that looked after actors, presenters, you know, musicians, and he wanted to go down the, um, the football route and what me do the agency stuff. So I had a short spell doing the, the production stuff and and uh, what various TV shows that they had at the, the, one of the companies, and then. I didn't get the, I sat the agency test, but I failed it. And then I just oh, I thought, I, I, I'm done with this. I, I want to go back up the road. Um, I didn't enjoy it because the whole point was to go down, pass that test, and then you'll go and work as an agent. Um, failed the test and just went, oh, I'm not waiting about, came back up the road. And then uh, ended up going point for Mob Guy Wanderers again, back to the Wanderers where I started. The uh, the babe station thing got a lot of attention. At the oh, time. it was it, it was completely blown out of proportion. The who was it I spoke to? Can can I just interrupt there for 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 those of us that have never heard the babe station? <laughs> could you please get into a wee bit more detail about it, Kieran? Uh, and just to let you know, Amanda was my favourite. Okay. <laughs> Is your number ending six six four? Oh wait 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 six six four. Oh, thanks for the bell. Um, okay, it was just um, at that time because I left Morton, I was I was working on a um, building site. A boy and um, the, the prospect of going and doing the agency thing and and it seemed a lot better. And it was a kind of quick move, and then. Uh, but the, the the report was it was the headline was the actual content of the interview was all right, but the, it was it, it was the headline was horrific. And I phoned the boy. I says, "What the f- is that all about?" Because I've got my family to read that, and and the content was actually was all right, but the headline was brutal. It was just a um, a program based on on like a it was kind of something the Discovery Channel. You just discover new <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you uh so in the end you left there you came back up the road and eventually i know you said you played for the local team um i mean what what was, what was that like going back in there as well i mean was that uh did you did you partly enjoy because there was less pressure on you you were the kind of big fish in the small pond in a sense as well no, I just, I'm back i was overweight and big long hair i was playing street park headband in an absolute tadger just playing amateur football with my pals <laughs> Do you know what I'm I mean, I was overweight and had no fitness, had no pace, had nothing. And 
just boys running away from me and I was just like, nah, this isn't really what I want to do. This is I need to get my finger in here. Um and then I, I got I got obviously back fit training and, and back running again and then um budget for me and and Danny Drew for Bell's Hill, but I was staying a lot cold at the time, my mum. So logistically it just made more sense to because they were both offering the same money. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was but it just made more sense to go to Bell's Hill. One of my, my best mates was there, Ben and Crozier. And, uh, but then I've got good pals at Clyde Bank as well. Austin McCann was there that I knew. So, um, but it just logistically just made more sense to go to, to Bells Hill for the travelling costs and stuff. So, and I had a, a great time, really enjoyed it with Danny. And, uh, and then that summer, I went with Paul Sheehan and got the Arbroath job. I had been at St Johnson with, with Peanuts and so I thought I'd go chance my arm. My best mate, Marco, was there at the time. And uh, I spoke to Peanuts. He said, look, come in. And uh, I said, right, OK. I ended up taking Marco's place at left back. <laughs> 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 Which he doesn't forget much. He doesn't let me uh, forget it anyway. And then I had a, had a really good season. Um, and was that you? You'd found your love for the game again by this point. Yeah, going back to my wanderers, um, I just just kicking the ball about again with boys I kind of grew up with, and then went to Bells Hill, and I was again a bit more competitive and challenging, and I got I got a love again, the appetite back, and really enjoyed my time at see Bells Hill with, with Danny, and then uh, again went. I thought I'm going to make a go. I'm going to have a crack at this. My missus at the time says, well, if that's what you want to do, then, then go and do it, you know, because you're a miserable so-and-so, so um, go and do it. So then I got the opportunity to go and play with our broth, and I just took it for there. And then from there, you ended up at Sterling and, and playing a part in, in helping them beat Rangers in 2012? Yeah, again, my best mate was here, Marco. I kind of followed Marco around. <laughs> um, but he's, it's, it, I we'd a good, we'd, it came down, obviously, big season and then um or the first season from getting demoted and uh, I we just we scored early on and we hung on for dear life. <laughs> Brian that big blue, Brian Allison scored. Um and we pff, it was the Alamo. They just flung everything at us and we just didn't, you know, hung on, hung on, hung on. I think I haven't been involved in a game that's just so one sided. Um but you know, we, we managed to see it out, and we had a good season. If you have a good chance against them, I think we beat them once and drew with them. We beat them once and drew twice, and they beat us once. Drew at Ibrox and drew at home, and they beat us at Ibrox as well. Yeah. Sorry, Rusty, were you going to come in? No, no, no. <laughs> Obviously, it's great that you found your love for for football again, uh, which. <laughs> It's worth pointing out that that what we had a chat about kind of off uh, microphone was that when you were a young kid, obviously playing in the BBs and such, I, I better mention the Maxwell family because, you know, that'll quadruple really uh, uh, Gareth's listening figures. So uh, Alan, Alan and Karen and obviously Clint and Gordon, uh, they, they were very influential. It's a word I've used a lot. Uh, tonight and giving me information about you, Kieran, uh, about you being in the BBs and yep. how you started in goals and yep. such like as well. You obviously at Mulgai Boys Club. 
Uh, well, no mention about the game v Monaco, which you played. You played for St Johnson in that game. Yeah. Against Barthez and such like. Uh, do you know Gareth? He was called Shirley Temple when he was a young boy. He's here. He did that. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't know much about hair, right enough, but uh, such a uh, thick blonde hair and such like, and uh, yeah, Stop obviously. Listen, I'm very grateful to the Maxwell family for providing me. I know you, you were speaking highly of them earlier and uh, and they kind of treat you as one of their own, you know, yeah. and, and I know you still keep in touch with Karen, I believe, Kieran. So. Yeah, yeah, I do know. They, they, were, they, they looked after me very well when I was younger. Um, I've been friends with Clinton since I was five, um, which is obviously quite a long time. Um, we do, I play the odd game for my guy over 35s and me and Clint play up top for that so that's <laughs> kind of the running then in that game <sighs> no no Clint then what a player he what kind of Clint Maxwell what a he played with Clay Bank played with Clay Bank yes. two seasons Clay Bank legend absolute unbelievable left footed yeah. as well but just but a better golfer oh <laughs> oh, they're just total golfing family. Loved it from yeah. day one. Day one, they do a the the <coughs> club of golf club. They've got a, a medal every year for one of the Clinton's best mate, next door neighbour. We grew up a boy called John Donnelly. God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. I as a, as a young boy, and uh, again him and Clinton play golf quite a lot when we were younger. And um, they do a medal. They, they put that that on for him every year at the, at the golf club in Cobra. Nice. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but no, Cam and, and, and Alan are, are brilliant. Always brilliant. I mean, I keep meaning to go down and see them. Um, mm-hmm. But just getting over my guy, and I keep saying, let me grab a pint, because Clint just turned 40 um, this year. And then, um, because Gordon had texted me to do a wee video, and doing a wee kind of collage. And his yeah, yeah. Danielle was doing a wee collage of all the people that he kind of knew just to wish him happy 40. So, uh, that's nice you've got fond memories uh, Gareth we'll give you your, your programme back now thanks very much, very much. No, no problem. I, was getting, I was getting all emotional here uh, <laughs> um, we obviously called down the divisions uh, Kieran so we talked about you know you went to Bells Hill but your latter playing days I guess that was when you kind of went back into the juniors Coburnie late side we've talked about with, with Swifty and, and Peters Hill how did you find all that you know playing playing the juniors having been well, like your Fulhams and your Hearts and your, I know you'd come down to your Sterlings and, and that kind of thing, but was the Juniors a whole new ball game for you? Um, yes and no, but when I went to that level, it was played with good players, you know, Twifted, particularly Coburnie had some really good players, Billy Gibson and Chris Malone and Liam McGuinness and uh, we Chrissy Craig, Chrissy Craig's one of the technically most gifted players I've ever seen, he's, he's I probably say he's probably more technically gifted than Russell Latape. Um but you know, so it was, it was it, it, it was not an issue with that because I just loved I just loved football. And it doesn't matter what level you played it, I just I just loved playing football again, you know. And, um it's, it's not again your mindset and then it becomes your body. It tells you it's the lower you get but it's you've just got to go on with it, you know, and you've got to try and stay in the game as long as you can. Um, and just try and enjoy it as best you can, and that was it. Really, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really have a plan. I think that's another 
issue. I didn't have a I didn't have a goal or a plan that I want you know I didn't have an a, I didn't know what to, what I wanted to achieve. Uh, there was no direction really no, in your you know, there's no direction and, and you know, don't get me wrong, my, my mum, you know, raised me as, as best, you know, unbelievable and she, you know, gave me good grounding and good manners and, um, but mum and dad split up when I was young, so I didn't have a proper father figure that most boys have, you know, kick up the bum or go and do this or go and do that, um, you know, you, your mum's your mum, she could tell you and you want people like, aye, alright mum, you know, it's just, you know, that's the way it was and, but that was an issue. I didn't have that guidance to say, you know, go this way, what you're thinking, what you're doing. Because most dads want to, you know, see that they live the dream through their son by playing football. And, you know, maybe what was that an issue? I didn't have that guidance. I don't know. You know hindsight's again, you, you don't really know. Um, I felt I was strong enough at that point to make my own decisions and knew what I kind of wanted. But I didn't have a goal. I didn't have an. an, 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 an I was ambitious, but didn't have. A target to actually go and what 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 to what to achieve. So it was just one. Well, I always wanted to play football, and even it, when I went to juniors, it was just to play football and do something on a Saturday and enjoy it really, and, because that was all we did as as kids. Just what to prepare for a Saturday and, and and go and enjoy it. We can't uh, we can't leave you go with just quickly asking you about the season St Johnston have had under Callum Davidson. Uh-huh. Won one cup there in the final of the the Scottish Cup. I, I presume they're a club that's still close to your heart and and you uh, you still follow closely. Yeah, I do. I, I was um, I got the opportunity to go and do co-coms at the Motherwell game. Um, I absolutely loved it, and you can just see that he's got them well drilled, well organised. Um, and Cal was an exceptional. Cal nearly chucked it. It was John Blackley got him back in. He was going to go back to university. Um, it was a season before I joined, I think it was, 94, 95. Uh, I, he, he stayed for a season and did really well. And then next thing, he's um, Oscar to Blackburn. Mm-hmm. So, but no, he, he's, he's done really, really well. And again, you need that buy-in from the players because your philosophy could be great and all singing and all dancing. But if you don't have the, you know, the components within that, it's not going to work, you know, and, and he's got that, he's got them drilled, well organised, they, they've all got a purpose, you know, when they play the game and um, and he's, he's managed to get, you know, the best out of them and, and I think he's, that's a testament to him as a, as, a, as a person and as a coach and, you know, I've seen him at the middle game, just think a chance to have a proper chat with him, obviously, um, but it's, uh, I'm really pleased for him, really, really pleased. It's also good that the club stuck by him after a dodgy start as well, Kieran. I think I think he went ten games without a win or so. Yeah. Uh, so they had belief in him, uh, and that's very very important. There's not enough yeah. clubs that stick by their manager. You know, I know I know it was he'd only been appointed several uh, a few months earlier, mm-hmm. uh, but they stuck by him. They had belief that this would come good and. Uh, and all credit to St Johnston as a club and Callum as a person, you know, yeah. to get through. And he'll remember the tough time that you had at the start 
But again, clubs need to give managers time to build. Uh, philosophy gets used a lot, and I don't necessarily like the particular word, you know, but it takes time to rebuild a club, and that's the decision, and that's what he had to do, especially after the success of Tommy Wright there. Yeah, 100%. And as we spoke earlier on about you need that buy in. So they've bought into what he wants to try and do. You know, you, you like the word philosophy, and I've used it about 20 times. Isn't it? It's okay, 25 actually. <laughs> He's squirming. Oh, yeah, yeah. Young coaches and their philosophy, you know. And it's also a big word, it's just your, your ideas, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Um, but he's not, they've bought into what he was trying to achieve, and you know that's the key battle. The biggest example you've got to use is, is Rangers. And Gerard, they have been patient, you know, particularly Rangers or Celtic, you don't get the time. You don't no. get the time, but they're, they're main, and I'll kind of talk about, he's at one trophy in, in, in nine attempts, or out of nine, but he got the trophy that they really, really wanted, was the league, and to stop the ten, to stop Celtic becoming history makers. Um, okay, you know, this, this season Celtic have been diabolical, and say it's in, it means I've got to go and they've still got to beat what teams in front of them and, and you know in the day you come against some very very tough opposition because they're, they're drilled to try and overcome challenges like what Rangers and Celtic and Hearts and Hibs will, will, will throw at them or Aberdeen or whatever you know, Hearts aren't in the league now but they're clubs that are, have got big reputations but you know the opportunity but what they've done is they've stuck by them and they've proved that you know if you do that Allow the, the manager to build what he what he sees is going to be uh, a successful team, and he's been given time. And as Stuart says, there's not a lot of clubs that will do that now. And, and the St Johnson committee and board have bought into what Cam want to do and allow them the time and the patience to, to go and do it. And hopefully, you know, he continues to do that. Very good, very good. Uh, Kieran, we've got to go because Stewart's Babe Station subscription's about to start. So, yeah, uh, yes, I. And will it help if I change my mobile so that it doesn't end in 664? Six, six, <laughs> <laughs> it's been fascinating, and uh, you know, I applaud you and your honesty. Really, really enjoyed that, Kieran. And Thanks I wish you well. Means a lot. Thanks very much. And you speak to Alan Tim, I was asking for him. I'll give Karen a message and tell her. Certainly, I'll certainly pass that on. They speak very highly of you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Paul Maxwell, manager of Ashfield Football Club, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Now here's Roach's Roundup with Colburny Laidside assistant boss, Des Roach. We start up in the SPFL, and probably the biggest news to land was the departure of title-winning manager Ray McKinnon from Champions Queen's Park. Early contenders linked with the role include Alan Stubbs, who has worked previously with Chief Executive Leanne Dempster at Hibs, along with ex-Ross County manager and former Spiders player Stuart Kettlewell. Someone else on the move off the pitch is Annan Athletic Director of Football, Cammy Bell. He's resigned from his role after a difference of opinion at boardroom level. Now to matters on the pitch. Abroth FC are losing their most successful club captain in the club's history. Mark Watley has penned a two-year deal with local rivals Montrose, bringing an end to his seven-year stay at Gayfield. During this time, Watley has made 242 appearances and lifted two league titles. Staying at Lynx Park, 
and Watley's soon-to-be teammate Terry Masson, well he's extending his stay until 2023 after provisionally joining in 2010. In the West of Scotland League, well they've opened up a Division 4 for development teams for the next season. Nine new clubs in total are joining, including St Peter's, Finart, Campbelltown Pupils and Broomhill Sports Club. However, these guys are joining as associate members. The clubs will have time to get their ground to an appropriate standard to be eligible for promotion, but this will not be permitted if they are ground sharing. Some signing news. Well, over Meadow, they've recruited ex Coburnie Rangers player Jamie Wiley. And my own club, Coburnie Lightside, we've signed former Airdrie and Huddersfield frontman Liam Coogans, along with wide player Josh Winton. However, maybe expect some more news this weekend. Watch this space. Finally, St Andrews United are celebrating a huge milestone on Monday, 100 years in existence. Originally formed to help World War I personnel with increased recreational opportunities, they quickly became one of Fife's top semi-pro clubs, winning the Scottish Junior Cup in 1960 after a 2-0 victory over Greenock. I'm sure the committee are planning a big celebration. My name's Tommy Sloan, Auchinleck Talbot Manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Really honest from Kieran there, Paul. Um, I think a lot of people, full stop, not just people in football, can probably learn from some of the things he said. That was really uh, open and honest there from Kieran, wasn't it? And I'm sure uh, there'll be a lot of players listening to this. It's maybe even down the divisions themselves and found them down there because they maybe just didn't have that a dedication that's that's required to get to the top. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the down the divisions decider. This week, I'm looking for the club who had three players with the surnames Sage, Curry and Rice in the early 1970s. Jock Steen played 94 games for them. In the 1980s, they had a shirt that resembled a biscuit wrapper and Marvel comic book writer Mark Miller is a fan. Right, Paul, you sounded pretty confident at the start of the show. Are you still feeling confident now? Only because I think at the start of lockdown, I mean, I might be totally wrong, there was somebody involved with the Marvel series that bought Albion Rovers a camera so they could uh, view, stream the games to their supporters. So I'm going to go Albion Rovers. Bang on the money, Paul. Very impressed with that. You, you, you knew it right from the start. You're right about Mark Miller buying the camera. Obviously, I'm sure you knew back in the 1970s it was Bill Curry, Sid Sage and Burt Rice. Oh, so uh, yeah. He was and. uh and also the biscuit wrapper idea came after they were sponsored by Tunnox and they actually played in a strip that resembled the, the Tunnox wrapper. There you go. Did not know that. Every, every day is a school day, Paul, eh? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks again to our sponsors, 44 Creative. Go to www.44creativehq.com if you're looking for a photographer, graphic designer, videographer or video editor. And don't forget, you can get in touch with us with your comments or suggestions for people to speak to, or if you'd like your club's audio featured on the show. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Do leave a comment, which helps others find us, and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Divisions.